Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Matt, so much. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We appreciate you being here. We welcome all of our visitors. We're so very glad to have you with us. Thank you all for being here. And uh, we are especially glad to hear the babies and the little children. And we want you to know that's okay. We're glad to have the babies here and everyone. We're so glad to have you with us. Uh, we're glad to have those who are joining us online. Thank you so much for being with us. We're always here for you. Let us know if there's any way we can serve you. And did you notice the new stuff up here? Zach Vaughn has put in a lot of time, a lot of expertise, because at real quick, I don't understand anything about it, <laughs> except that that's a TV monitor, and that's about it, and somehow there's wires running to it. But he understands how all that works, and he is taking days off, he's come up in the evenings, weekends, and put in a lot of time to make these improvements for us so people can see better, more clearly, and I just think he's done a wonderful job. I think he's still doing some fine-tuning on things because he knows the point to where he wants to get it, and I really appreciate that about him. He's got some other things he wants to do to work on this lighting and the glare and just and, and that's only one of the projects that he has. And so we appreciate all the service and time that he gives to this church uh, to help enhance our worship. That's what it's about. It's not about having uh, something that looks nice. It's about enhancing worship. Why? Because that's what we're here to do. So if you can see better, if you can see the words to songs better, see the slide that has a scripture on it better, then that enhances uh, our worship experience. And we appreciate that and those that serve with him so very much. Thank you for doing that. On September 26th of this year, marathon runner Tyler Pence was the first U.S. runner to win the Quad Cities race in Illinois since 2001. Although he logged his fastest time ever, it was unusual the way he won the marathon. You see, there were two other runners ahead of Tyler. And it was at an intersection about halfway, little past halfway through the marathon that those two runners who were ahead of Tyler followed a bicycle who was supposed to be leading the runners, but the bicycle went straight and they were supposed to turn. So the runners followed the bicycle instead of turning on the course. And that is what led to Tyler running, uh, winning the marathon. Now, the race director said that the runners had gone over the course, that there was clear signage, that this had been uh, talked about, and so that there was no reason why they should have gone the wrong way, except that they followed someone going the wrong way. So it was unfortunate for those two runners who had worked so hard and prepared uh, so, so hard and for such a long time to lose, but it it benefited Tyler in that he won this race that he had worked so hard to win. It sure worked out well for him, didn't it? But see, uh, it, Paul focuses on this runner illustration in the passage that we're going to look at today in Philippians chapter 3. And he's so focused about... Uh, focusing on the goal ahead of you, uh, the, the prize to be won, the race that we are in. And he says he's going to do whatever it takes to win the prize, to, to obtain this goal that he has set before him. Now think about it with 
Uh, same in Tyler, as in Tyler's story. You can't win the prize if you go the wrong way. Is that right? So you gotta, you got to know who you're following, and you got to keep your eyes set on the right course and follow the right direction to obtain that prize and that goal. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be in verses 12 through 21. And Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think in this way. And if anything uh, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Verse, four, uh, verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, and by the power that enables Him to even to subject all things to Himself. Now what do you think Paul was talking about that he wants to obtain there at the very beginning? What, what is this? He kind of... He kind of delays it a little bit until he gets to the, the answer, the thing he's talking about that, we're, that we'll get to. But what is it that he wanted to obtain? Well, he had just said several things in the previous verses of chapter 3, but it's important to know that Paul never saw salvation as something to get in one moment and have and then be done with and go on with your life. That was not Paul's view of salvation. You, you do something now, and you get it now, and you're done with, and you can move on with life. That, that's not the biblical salvation, and that's not the, the view Paul had of salvation. Paul's view of salvation was always one, one that was a race to be won, a life to be lived, and a course to be completed. That was salvation to him. And he's, we've talked about this already, but not yet. And, and he's gotten into this subject uh, in Philippians already. And he's saying that none of us ever have arrived at the goal. We've not crossed the finish line until we're with Christ in heaven. Until the end of our life, and then we're, in, we're with Christ in heaven. So that's when you complete the race. That's when you obtain the goal and obtain the prize. But there was no lack of confidence in Paul. Because it was his way of saying that he was still running the Christian race and he wasn't giving up. 
That he wasn't going to turn the wrong direction. That he wasn't going to lose focus and lose interest and and lose his zeal and and quit halfway through the race. He was going to finish his race. Remember, he's talked about this, that God will uh, bring to completion the work that he started and to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he's addressing this. He's like, look, I ain't giving up and don't you give up. We're going to finish the race of our faith. Don't quit. The Christian life is a race. You can have salvation now, but then it is most fully realized when Christ returns and we're with him forever. And so so Paul says he, he sought to lay hold of him who had already laid hold of Paul. Does that make sense? Uh, look there, Paul writes, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And I like the way the NIV says it. The NIV, uh, back on our other slide, the NIV actually oftentimes, I know there's, there's challenges with each translation, but sometimes the NIV really does a good job of, of laying out the Greek really well. And this is one example. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So Paul's wanting to take hold of something, and he's saying, and that's the same thing for which Christ took hold of me. So so still, what is it Paul is talking about? In verse 13, Paul says, he hasn't quite yet obtained it, but he forgets what lies behind, and he's straining forward to what lies ahead. So now in verse 14, we see uh, what it is that lies ahead for Paul. He tells us, I press on toward what? The goal for the prize of what? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what does the upward call of God sound like to you? The upward call of God is the call uh, for salvation, to be in heaven, the call of eternal life. That's that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what it was all about for Paul. Everything was about this for Paul. Remember he said, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His life was about this upward call to get this goal, this prize. And this is what he wanted for the Philippian Christians. And this is why God has this recorded for us today because this is what God wants for us as well. Uh, In another place, Paul wrote, for God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So the prize to be in heaven is with God. So the prize is heaven, but it's not just heaven. It's not just about a place. It's also about a person, and it is to be in heaven eternally with God and with Christ, the one who made all of this possible. So someone had said it this way one time, and I really like, that this call is from heaven and to heaven. I really like how they put that. This call of God is from heaven, and it's to heaven. It's about getting you to heaven. Now, some people want to remember their past and forget about what lies ahead, don't they? They want to remember all the stuff from the past, all of the stuff that the failure, the mistake, the regret, the bad experience that happened. They want to, that's what they want to remember. And they forget that something lies ahead, that there's a, a finish line, that there's a race to run, that they're on a course to complete, that there's something eternal and beyond this life. And what happens? They end up like this lady, stuck in the mud. 
And she, she almost looks like she's kind of she's enjoying this. She, she seems like, you know, I think I'll just stay here a while. This isn't so bad. And that's what we do, don't we, sometimes in our, our bad experiences, in our story. See, we remember that part of our story, and that becomes our story now, our identity. And that means that becomes our present and our future. Well, what's your present and future then? The mud back then and back there that you're still stuck in. Now, a person stuck in the mud, she's not moving forward at all. She's not helping anybody in there in their, their, to know Christ. She's not moving forward in her faith. She's not serving in the kingdom. She's stuck back there in the mud that she got stuck in. And what happens oftentimes? The mud starts getting comfortable. It starts feeling kind of good and relaxing and, hey, it's not so bad. It kind of cools me off. And, and it's just too much trouble to get out of them. It's going to take a lot of work to get out of this mud. Because when I start getting out of the mud, then my shoes might get stuck. And, and I can't get those feet out. And I don't know how to crawl to the edge where the ground is solid. I think I'll just stay here in the mud. You know somebody like that? Churches can do that too, can't they? Churches can get stuck in the mud. We get stuck in, in, in the past. We get stuck and say, and say, well, that's how it's always been done. Or remember when? And all the good days, and you forget that there's present days and future days. And, 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 and people can get tired, set in their ways. We get inward focused. We get, uh, we, we, get, we get burned out. And then all of a sudden, we don't want to do anything. There's no energy to do anything. There's no enthusiasm to serve God. But see, that, someone who's stuck out in the mud can't survive forever, can they? A church that's stuck in the mud can't survive. That's a dying church. And, and, and a, an alive church, a church that is alive and active and moving forward is a church that is actively uh, uh, fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. We've talked about that. That's what the church is supposed to look like, and you can't be that kind of church, the Lord's church, if you're going to be stuck in the mud. Because... There is a prize of heaven to be won, and we've got to individually and collectively. Tom taught about unity this morning. That's a big major theme in the letter to the Philippians. You've got to be moving forward in unity towards that finish line of heaven, waiting for Christ to return. Does that make sense? Now, in verse 15 we see Paul says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think other if anything you think otherwise God will reveal that also to you. Paul expects the mature Christian to do what? Agree with him. Well after all he's the inspired apostle and he says, "Hey, the mature Christians are going to agree with me." And so that's easy for us to say, "Yeah, well I'm mature cuz Paul I agree with you." Well, hold on. What what is Paul saying? What's Paul talking about? What Paul is saying is, see, the word that he, the word that he uses here uh, it, it, as mature is translated in verse 12 as perfect. That's the same word. And so what he's saying is, is that those of us who are mature realize 
We're not totally perfect or have arrived or mature yet. Why? Because we're still a work in process and Christ hadn't returned. And there's still work to do and there's still growth to happen and there's still, there's still service to, to, to do. We're still supposed to be growing and active in our faith. And he said, those of you who are mature, you get this. You're not stuck back in the mud. And if any of you think that we ought to be, well, I hope that God helps you understand that that ain't the case. Because a mature Christian understands you hadn't arrived yet. You can't sit back and say, I've got salvation. I can move on with my life. There's work to do for God. We've got to live out our faith in this world. We've got to make a difference for the kingdom of God in our community, in our homes, and around the world. And Paul says, uh, uh, you haven't arrived yet. You still have growing to do. You still have work to do. We're not done until the Savior returns. So we can't sit back because we have to be about our Father's business. Remember when Jesus said that? When he was a child, he said, I've got to be about my Father's business. Now, in verse 16, then he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, We've already learned truth. We already have heard the words of God. And of course, they continued to hear from Paul the Apostle. And he said, we've got to hold true to what we know, to what we have. And what would we call that now? The Word of God. He said, we've got to realize we still are a work in progress and have work to do. And we work until Christ returns. There's no time to, 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 to relax. There's no time to take a break. We can't be stuck in the mud. We've got to run our race that he talked about at the beginning until Christ returns. And we've got to do that holding on. And like he said earlier, also holding out the words of truth that we've obtained. Now, look at verse number 17. Paul writes, brothers... Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, now that sounds a little odd. We don't normally talk like that to say, you ought to imitate me. We would think, well, that person's got a pretty big ego, don't they? So why would Paul say, brothers, join in imitating me? In fact, when he says brothers, he's meaning the whole church, and that's plural. He's not talking to one person. He's talking to the whole church there in Philippi, and he's saying join. So he's not talking to one person, remember? He's saying plural, join. All of you join together. Again, the theme of unity. All of you together join in imitating me. Now, we don't talk like that now, but what did Paul mean? Well, what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, and he wrote this in other places as well, but in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 helps us understand, and they would have understood this. They were very close to one another. Here helps us understand what he's saying. Be imitators of me, what? As I am of Christ. So he's not telling them, if I go do something crazy and wrong and I go off the rails, then you follow. He's not saying that. He's saying, as I follow Christ, you look to me as, a, as an example of how to follow Christ. See, he's been a Christian longer, more mature in the faith. And, and we need those kind of people in our lives, don't we? We need those people, no matter how old you are, we need people to be able, faithful Christians to be able to look to to say, they went through what I'm going through. 
They've been through what I'm dealing with. They've dealt with that. I need to know how do I get through what I'm going through. Then I need to find a faithful Christian and ask them and watch them to see how they did that. Because I hadn't been there yet. I hadn't gone through that yet. And they have and they're going to help me walk that uh, walk through that experience faithful to God. And he's saying, he's saying, you watch people, you find them, and you watch their life, and you imitate their life. Now, no matter who they are, any Christian doing wrong, don't imitate them. I don't care who it is and what they do. Wrong is wrong. A Christian, no matter how faithful they are, no matter how much you think of them, a Christian doing wrong is still wrong, isn't it? So don't imitate that. Don't make that be a mental excuse for you. Well, so-and-so did it. No, you know that's wrong, and they're wrong for doing that. But follow those as they follow Christ, their example in faith. Now, uh, that word, the word walk there that he uses in that verse, uh, verse 17, it's often used to describe how somebody lives their life or, or walk with God, in other words. You've heard that many times. So what is he saying? He's saying, find people who you can look at just how they, how they walk around in their daily life. That's what he means. Their daily life, not in the big things where, it's, where maybe it's more public or easy to be faithful. But, but how do they live in their everyday life? Find people who are faithful to Christ in their daily life. And those are the people you need to imitate. Why? Because those are people who are doing it for real. They're doing it at all consistently all the time. Not that they're perfect, but that's the person to follow. Now, look at verses 18 through 19. Then Paul tells them that many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's different thoughts about who these people are, Judaizers, uh, false teachers, uh, non-Christians. Uh, but whoever it was, the Philippian church would have known who they were for sure. So there was kind of some inside knowledge there about who these people were. And he's saying, he's saying many, and I've talked to you before, so that could be perhaps in other letters and times he's visited there. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And what does he say? Their God was their flesh. That's what he means by belly. They served their flesh. What they wanted to do, we could say, what makes me happy? You hear it now, my truth, what, what I feel like doing, what makes me happy, you know, what fulfills me. All of, the, all of that is serving the flesh. What fulfills me, you know, all of this self-actualization stuff. The New Century Version translates it this way. They do whatever their bodies want. They are proud of their shameful acts. And they think only about earthly things. That kind of describes culture, doesn't it? A lot of the world. And it always has, even back then. So we say things have changed, but in some ways, fundamentally, they haven't. Because people have always uh, uh, served the flesh as their God. And, and, and look at what Paul says. They actually are proud of and glory in things that are shameful. When you look at something, see, you, you, because God designed you, you know when you see something that, that, ain't, that ain't right. You know it. But just because the media or culture or whatever's uh, common promotes it doesn't make it right, even if it's legal. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. But you know something that's wrong when you see it or when you hear it. And Paul's saying, 
that's shameful. Don't glory in that thing that's shameful. I think it's in the Proverbs where, where the author talks about people can no longer blush. In other words, there's no longer any embarrassment. There's no longer any shame in people. But he's saying that's not how we're supposed to live. And so we see this contrast that he gives us between the people whose minds are on earthly things and those whose minds are on their heavenly citizenship. He, he has this contrast that he has there. Then in verse 20, he tells them this is what it's all about. This is, what it's, this is what I've been building up to. This is the prize. This is the goal. This is the finish line. And he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So you need to know that I don't know where you live, but you live in temporary housing. You're a renter. You're not an owner. You're, you're a resident alien. You, this isn't your zip code. This isn't where you're from, where you're from and where, you, where your, your citizenship is. What does the song say? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And you know, I think that the song that Matt led, How Deep is the Father's Love, I think if that song had been around when Paul was around, he might have even included that song. In this. I think that would have been one of his favorite songs. That's a powerful song. And then the other songs about, about heaven. And can you just hear Paul uh, singing these songs? Because for him, that's what it was all about. Our citizenship, our address, our real home, where we belong is in heaven. Quit making this your home. Quit acting like this is where you live. You don't live. You're, you're passing through. And while we're passing through, we're supposed to serve God and glorify him. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying. He says our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We just wait for Jesus to return, being ready. And the parables address that for him to return. And then finally, verse 21, what will Jesus do when he returns? He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He's going to transform our bodies to be like his. Do we know exactly what that means? Are we going to have wings? Are we going to float? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're clear or have polka dots or, or have... It doesn't matter. What, what Paul is focused on, and the Bible doesn't intend to answer all of our questions, what Paul is focused on is that our citizenship is in heaven. And that's where our Savior is. And that's where our minds are supposed to be focused on. Getting there. That's what life is all about. And that's the only way you'll find true fulfillment in this life, true meaning and true satisfaction is to focus on your Savior in heaven. If we can help you this morning as a Christian, if we can help you get closer in your relationship with God, pray for you. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. You've heard the, the, what we've been talking about is the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel message of what he did for us, and that's what Paul says stay focused on. And then what do you do when you believe that message? Then, then uh, you repent of your sins and you turn your life to Christ. You confess him as your Savior and you're ready to put him on in baptism. In baptism. If we can help you in any way this morning, we want you to know we're here for you as we together stand.